0: is is the foundation for everything else that's in the Bible. In fact is, I have a theory. I believe I'm right. It's not dogmatic, but I have a theory. If you are messed up in theology or doctrine somewhere along the line in the rest of the Bible, you'll probably have part of the foundation wrong because you have something wrong in the book of Genesis. You're going to hear me point out a few of those things as we go through. Because the first 12 chapters in particular of Genesis give us almost the the beginning of almost every doctrine, every thought that you can have through the rest of the Bible. Now, if you don't know me, when it comes to studying and looking at the Bible, I don't want surface things. Today is surface, but teaching through the book of Genesis is going to be difficult for me. Not because I don't want to. I'm really looking forward to it. But here's what happens is if you take a theme that starts in Genesis chapter one or verse two or or chapter two, you can follow it the whole way to the end of the book of, of Revelation And I have a tendency to want to cram all of that stuff in, which will lose the flow of the book of Genesis. I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I don't want to miss that Genesis is the foundation and we can see how it's carried out through the rest of the Bible. For example, in uh, the first chapters of Genesis, he talks about the tree of life. You know where the last time the tree of life is mentioned? Last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 14 in chapter 22 of Revelation. You could follow that the whole way through the Bible. We might do that. We'll touch on those kinds of things. For example, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 are quoted by Jesus. When he speaks of marriage and divorce and remarriage and all those kinds of things, where does he quote from? He quotes from the beginning. Quotes from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. He quotes from the very beginning. Not only does that say, hey, there's important foundations there, but it verifies that Jesus looked at Genesis, the very first chapters and says, this is authentic revelation. I have given it for man's good, for my purposes. Probably the most maligned and attacked chapters in the Bible are the first two because there are so many things that are set in motion in those two chapters that if you can wipe those out, you wipe out the foundation of a lot of other things that are seen the whole way through the rest of the Bible. And so it's an important book. It's the first talks about God. It talks about life. It talks about sin. It talks about man, about marriage, about family, the about nations. It talks about redemption. It talks about judgment. It talks about death. It talks about all of those things. And when you look at any of those concepts in scripture, you can trace it back to the first chapters of Genesis. If you don't understand Genesis chapter 12, you're going to have a problem understanding what you hear in the news about what's happening in the Middle East, just the way it is because there are some things, and we'll, we'll talk about them when we get to Genesis chapter 12, you'll see those things. And uh, we don't want to underestimate how valuable this book is. So today, I just decided to just do a thumbnail sketch across the board. As I already mentioned, if you miss something that's in the very beginning you will miss the real problem now i have something wrapped up in toilet tissue and wrapped up in a paper towel because there's a real reason for doing it i don't want to touch it so you can shake hands with me afterwards but you know what i have in the past few months had the privilege of working in a bunch of people's sewers and commodes we have some apartments. You know what? I have tried over and over again to unclog commodes just to come back the next day, the same day with the same problem and not find a problem. I can tell you what I found. By the way, whatever that says, do not flush disposable disinfectant wipes or baby wipes down the commode. If you do, you will have problems. I don't care what it says on the label. Don't do it. How do I know that? been there, done that. Whatever you do, let your comb sit on the top of the pot because it's go- probably going to get knocked into it. And when it does, it will clog it up. Don't let your hair clip fall down because it will clog everything up. And as of yesterday, I have in my hand a souvenir. It is um, a toothbrush. A toothbrush. I have been to that apartment at least six times. I have plunged it. I have used two different kinds of snakes. I have taken the commode off of the floor. I have done everything I could think of and couldn't find the problem, but it kept clogging. Yesterday, for some reason, I just kind of got a little frustrated and yanked the snake back out. And I saw a blue glimpse. Guess what I found? I don't know whose it is, but I don't think you want to brush your teeth with it anymore. Okay. But you know what? Until I got to the bottom line, I don't, by the way, I don't expect a callback on this one. I might, but I don't think so. But till you get to the bottom, the foundation, what is the original problem? What's the original start of the problem or the good thing? That's this. It represents that. So when you think about Genesis, it is get to the root of the issue. Get to the root of the doctrine. We'll see that. So with that in mind, and uh, by the way, when is the last time you heard of a pastor using something that came out of commode as a sermon illustration? Okay, just letting you on that one. So Genesis beginnings. By the way, uh, there are other things that are going to take place here in th- this month. Uh, so we're just getting started. But uh, this is a multiple, 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 multiple month thing. I have no idea how long it's going to take to get through Genesis. I have a feeling you'll probably be tired of Genesis by the time I'm done. But nonetheless, we're going to go through the whole book, basically verse by verse, uh, in most cases, sometimes concept by concept. But uh, just letting you know. So let's look at these chapters. First of all, chapters 1 and 2 already said that it is, they are the most maligned chapters in the whole Bible. The self-existing God reveals himself in the beginning God. And then he says, and he created. When you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see there's a self-existing supernatural God who has chosen to do something. That is speak into existence material things as well as life. You need to ask some questions. And some questions. Is God sovereign? Does he have a right to rule? If you don't understand Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you may have questions about that. But if he created it, it's his. He has the right to make the rules. He has the right to say how it operates. Does God give an account of the beginning of mankind? If he doesn't, then go to your science textbook and listen to everything you hear in the media because they're telling you you came from natural selection and chance. The Bible says something very different. Does God give order? Is God an orderly God? you find out in the first books, he's an orderly God. He did certain things at certain times. And the pattern that he gave to Israel is based on that pattern. And our, what are the basics of society? The basic, basic is this. God gave marriage the first chapters, before sin entered the world, marriage was given. Most of the other things that God added are to deal with sin, not marriage. It was to be because God designed us that way, that we are not independent of our spouse. We are, the normal thing is that people will be married. And so you see from the very beginning, God sets in motion a few things. Continuing on, it doesn't take long until there's a problem. Chapter three, is there temptation? Is there a real thing like temptation? In fact, is do we have an enemy? The answer is yes, we do. And from the very beginning of his existence here on this earth, he has been tempting people to thumb their nose at God and say, has God said? Hey, let me tell you the easy way. Let me tell you the fun way. Let me, let me give you an alternative. The truth of the matter is, Satan was alive and well back then. He's still alive and well. And so when you look at it, you say, he didn't change any. He continues to do the same kinds of things. Is there such a thing as sin? In fact, is, did God create evil? And I'm going to tell you, you may not see this right now, but I think you'll see it as we go along. If God created, did not create evil, uh, then a lot of theology that i see in the church today has got a problem because if god is sovereign and he decides that everything that happens then he had to have decided to create evil and that makes god a different god than the bible presents him just telling you up front does god have the i mean does man have the freedom to make choices that have real consequences the answer is absolutely he does. Did God make him do that? The answer is no. But you've got to go right back to the very beginning. Look at the basis. Look at the foundation of it. Does God judge sin? The answer is, oh, yes, he does. How do I know? I went back to the foundation. And the rest of the Bible fleshes that out and continues on to this day. And so from the very beginning, we see a lot of things in that whole process. Does sin affect others? When you get to these two chapters, you find out it has affected man and wife and children in every way. In fact, is by the time you get to chapter four, you have the first murder because of sin, because of jealousy. God hasn't done anything new. He's just fleshed it out, as I said before. Is sin contagious? And that might be a leading question, but the truth of the matter is, one sin leads to the next sin leads to the next sin. It continues on. You can see that. Am I responsible, or is that just the way it is? I couldn't help myself. That's what the world tells you today. I can go back to the beginning and tell you that God has always, from the very first beginning uh, of the very first sin, in the beginning, has held people accountable for their individual sin. And there are the consequences that go with those individual sins. And by the way, chapter 4, in the midst of showing the consequence of sin and the horribleness of it, he also shows us what worship looks like. It gives us a clue into what's going to happen. We find out in Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of this, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Doesn't mean a whole lot back then, but you start to see seed singular of the woman, no man mentioned. Something is a little different than the normal pattern. We see worship is very different from one brother and the other, and one is accepted and one is rejected. One, does, one has shed blood, the other does not. You start to see the whole pattern of redemption and that there needs to be a savior. You find out those things very, very early chapters five and six, you begin to see man's situation. You see that it is possible to leave a spiritual legacy. You see the sons who followed after God. And in that line, you just see one man and most of them just says so-and-so begotten, you know, going on. All, All of a sudden it stops right at one spot. And all of a sudden it says, and Enoch was not because he walked with God and God took him. Yeah, there was a spiritual legacy. It also goes the other way. Oh, by the way, does my sin have bigger effects than just me and just those right around me? The answer is it absolutely does. In fact, is God not only judges individuals for their sin, but he has the right to judge the whole world for sin. In fact, it gets to the point where we see in chapter 6 as um, God begins to judge them uh, with a worldwide flood that as we mentioned a few weeks ago, God not only looks at the outward things, but he says he looked down and saw that the intent of man's heart was continually evil. It wasn't just because they were doing murder and robbery and all all kinds of things, but he looked inside and said, oh yeah, your motives. Yeah, your attitudes, your desires can be right or wrong. And I can judge you for those things. There are worldly and sinful desires, and God will judge us. I don't have to just see that in the New Testament. It's full of it in the New Testament. But it started way back in the first chapters of the book of Genesis. And so God, as you know, brought a worldwide flood. He wiped out everything. Well, not everything. By the way, how many in the ark, how many animals did Moses take on there? None. Thank you. Somebody got it right, though. Moses was not on the ark. He comes a long time later. Uh, But anyway, it was nobody laughed at that the first service either. So I'm not going to tell that one anymore. Okay, maybe it's just too old. But the, the truth of the matter is, in the midst of worldwide judgment, God does something very interesting. In chapter seven, in the midst of his judgment, he is still gracious and merciful. He still differentiates between people. Yeah, God makes judgments. God does bless. God does judge. God curses. And He does give good things to people. And how does He do it? We find out. One man, by the way, a lot of times we think, and we don't know this, but on the ark there were eight people. How many of them were righteous? We don't actually know, but we know only one thing for sure only one of them is said to be a righteous man. And that's Noah himself. You see, my life has an impact. There were seven other people in that ark. I don't know if they were righteous or not. Doesn't tell us. All I know is they were on the ark and they were related to Noah. Noah's life made a difference. Is righteousness, righteousness rewarded? The answer is yeah. In the midst of of the greatest catastrophe that has taken place up until this point. There's a bigger one coming at the end, uh, and we can see. God destroyed the earth one time with fire, and I mean with uh, water, and he's going to do it a second time with fire. Shouldn't surprise us when we see that near the end of the New Testament. So God can save even in the midst of judgment. Can I live in a world that's all messed up? and still be righteous and God reward me? The answer is, he proved it way back in chapter 7. Chapter 9, God brings prohibitions, restraints, capital punishment. You want to talk about the justice system? Here's where you can start. Does God look at capital punishment as something cruel and unusual punishment, or is it actually God's way of dealing With horrible sin. The answer is, you go back to Genesis chapter 9, you find out that if I premeditatedly, purposely kill somebody, I need to forfeit my life. Human government was instituted. Capital punishment, the first rule of that. And God made a covenant. It'll change your life if you look back and you go, Rainbow is more than just reflection of light and all that kind of stuff. I don't understand how all it works, but I know it's that way. But when you see a rainbow, it's going to change your perspective because you're going to go, God, who absolutely has the power of life and death, made a covenant with mankind, and he promised it with a rainbow. And it's going to remind you. There was the first curse by God on a man named Cain, because he had uh, defiled his father by the way when they get off the ark we find out for the first time somebody planted a vineyard and guess what nothing wrong with uh having industry and working on a farm and a vineyard except what did noah do first thing he did is he drank too much of his own product and got drunk cause all kinds of problems. We can look and say, you know what? Are there things that are harmful? There are things that that, uh, cause us problems in society today. You can go right back to near the beginning and say, God already proved that these kinds of things are a problem. Chapter 10, and I'm going to be moving in a very expeditious manner here. The beginning of institutional rebellion. A man named Nimrod says he founded a very notorious city. It's called Babel. He was a hunter, a mighty hunter against the Lord. He became powerful in a political way and used it against God himself. Boy, can we see that today? Is that something carried out today? The answer is yeah. And then chapter 11, we see spiritual rebellion against God. The Tower of Babel, we look at it and we go, oh yeah, the Tower of Babel, they were building the tower. But you know what it also says? They were building a tower that was supposed to reach the heaven. Now I know that can't actually happen, but that's what they believed. And God looked and said, if I let them continue on the way they're going, there's nothing that's going to be impossible for them to do. See, God put very great potential in you and me and everyone else. And he states it even in a negative way. He says, wow, I need to step in and I need to do something. What's he do? He makes it necessary for interpreters. Over in Moldova, we call them interrupters. If you've never spoken through an interpreter, it's a royal pain in the neck. I talk fast. You can't do that. It just doesn't work. And it really messes your thinking up. But you know what? That's where it started. Why? Because man rebelled spiritually against God. And God said, that's it. I'm going to cause confusion. Think about this. New Tribes Mission and Wycliffe and all kinds of others would not even have a ministry today if it wasn't for spiritual rebellion against God. Think about that. Going right back to chapter 11. Chapter 12, this is the one I referred to earlier. The first family is designated out of all their families to be not only a family, but a nation. And he made a covenant with Abraham. Now, we're going to come back to that covenant here in a couple of chapters. But God, has God chosen a people? Has he chosen a nation of his own? What was their role and purpose? When you go back, you will find that it says that those that bless Abraham will be blessed. Those that curse Abraham will be cursed whoa, that has never gone out of existence. Let me tell you something, folks, that makes a difference, not only for us as individuals, but us as a country. Those that curse or bless Abraham and his descendants, there's a problem. There's something that goes with that. Chapters 13 and 14, Abraham has struggles, and we see this. He's trying to help his his, uh, nephew Lot. And by the way, it says And this is what happens to people when they rebel against God, go the wrong way, lose their way. Look at Lot. By the way, I know from the New Testament, he was a righteous man in the midst of an unrighteous people. And God knew how to save him. It says he was vexed in his spirit. In other words, I look at that and say, can I have hope? even if I've blown it. You might be sitting here and go, you know what, God doesn't want anything to do with me because I know I trusted Christ, but I blew it. You know, is there any hope? The answer is, yes, there is. We find that way back in 13 and 14. Chapter 14, something, someone, I'm sorry, is introduced that is different than anything else. And it looks out of place. He is the King of Salem, the King of Peace. You go, who is this Melchizedek? He is a foreshadow, a forerunner, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, is Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You'll find that in the book of Hebrews near the end of the New Testament. And if you don't know this story, you don't understand that he has a higher position than any earthly priesthood. It just follows and begins to build on what Jesus Christ would have done. Seed of the woman. He needs to be worshiped in a specific way. He has a different priesthood. All of these things are true. Where did they start? The book of Genesis. Melchizedek is very important. Chapter 15. Abraham is verified according to his faith. When it talks about faith in the New Testament, especially the apostle Paul, when he talks about faith, where does he go? He goes back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Long before the law, long before any of those kinds of things, guess how people came to trust God? By faith. And Abraham is the example. And the covenant that he made, blessings and cursings on his people, there's a covenant made, and there is a land that goes with that covenant. It's, we call it Palestine, the Middle East. Uh, it's where Israel is now, plus a whole bunch more. You know what? There's a covenant. People say, oh, that's old. That doesn't matter. Israel has sinned, and the Jewish people and the Hebrews are so far away from God, God has abandoned them. Guess what? When you go back and you read chapter 15, you'll find out that Abraham wasn't even awake when the covenant was made. He was put into a deep sleep and God made a covenant on his own authority with Abraham. It is not a a covenant that is conditional. It's unconditional. It's based on God himself and that's it. Nobody else. He did it on his own. An unconditional agreement by God for himself. Chapter 16, Ishmael. We call him an illegitimate child, son of a bondwoman, a slave. Abraham is trying to make God's promises come true on his own power. It doesn't work that way. God is greater than that. And so he has a child with a slave woman. It was legal, but it wasn't moral. And we see that social custom is rejected because he should have been the heir. Didn't happen that way. In fact, is uh, chapter 17, circumcision is... Introduced as a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and those following him. And then we find chapter 18 and 19. We see God appearing as a man along with angels who appear as men and say, you know what? i am come to judge. Sodom and Gomorrah obviously have a connotation dealing with pretty twisted sin. Truth of the matter is today, oh, they were just in his spot unhospitable people. I'll get it out. Uh, No, it had to do with all kinds of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. They have rightly that reputation. The fact is they're destroyed so greatly that to this day, people are still looking for Sodom and Gomorrah. Some think it's, think it's under the Dead Sea, good place for it. I don't know if it is or not, but you know what? Nobody's found it yet because God utterly destroyed them. And then Abraham lies. He has done that once before. He has a beautiful wife. He wants to make sure he saves his own skin. He says, tell them you're my sister. Uh, sorry, ladies. I, I, I am so glad God made you look as good as you do, okay? Because we don't stand a chance. But you know what? Every time you find in this, you find out about relationships. Sorry, I don't know what you're supposed to take from this, but it's just an observation. Every time somebody has a beautiful wife, they have problems. I don't know what that means, but you uh, You know what? He lies about his wife a second time. His son is going to do exactly the same thing to save his own hide because he's afraid he's going to be in trouble. So he tells, he lies about his wife. The whole point is, life hasn't gotten a whole lot different. Chapter 21, Isaac, the one God had promised, the one that was promised, and Sarah and Abraham were beyond childbearing, and they bear a child. New Testament. Nothing is impossible with God. Didn't start in the New Testament. Started in the Old Testament. Ishmael was rejected. You know the feud that's going on in the Middle East to this day. And then Abraham is tested. Isaac is to be sacrificed. You know what we find out here about Jesus Christ and a foreshadow of him? Abraham believes in the resurrection. Yeah. He said, I and the lad will go to the top of the hill and we're going to worship and we're going, we are going to return, we, plural, to. He believed that even if he was to slay his son, he was coming back to life and coming back down the hill with him. Yeah, you start finding the gospel way back in the book of Genesis. Continuing on, chapter 23. Sarah dies, and Abraham has to buy a piece of the land promised to him by an unconditional covenant. Yeah, he still hadn't taken possession of, had to buy a place just to bury his wife in the land that was promised to him. And then one of those stories that you look at and you go, wow, I don't know how to deal with this. But Isaac gets a mail-order wife. Well, it wasn't mail-order, it was a slave-order wife. You know, a servant went and brought a wife back. You know what I know about marriage and life from that? Is it says, they went into the tent and Abraham loved Rebecca. It doesn't say marry the one you love. He had never met her before, but all I know, and I can preach this and I can use this in counseling all the time. You love the one you're married to. And when you do, you will actually make a huge difference in what happens. Didn't start with me. Didn't start with the old new Testament started way back in Genesis chapter 25. Oh boy. You talk about sibling rivalry, it started before they were born, twins who were fighting in the womb, (laughs) wow, okay, the battle begins and uh, it continues on and then Isaac lies about Rebecca, I already went over that one, chapter 27 and 28, Jacob now receives the blessing that had been passed down through Isaac and now to Jacob. Notice what God had said to Abraham is just passed down. You can follow an absolute chain of evidence. Any court would uphold what God had said. Chapter 28 and 29, Jacob flees. You know he was a conniver, he was a deceiver, and um, he had uh, gotten the wrong side of his brother. He takes off to his uncle, and while he's there in chapters. 30 and 31, Jacob establishes his family and he becomes a wealthy man under the tutelage of his uncle. Of course, his uncle is about as deceitful as he is. That doesn't end real well. Chapter 32 and 33, Jacob now figures out, I need to go back home. I need to go back where my father is, the land of my birth. Except there's a problem. He has an older brother who still Has out a contract on him. He is gonna kill him. Abraham now, I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob now wrestles with God. And by an act of faith, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. He's struggled with God and he has prevailed. He's a different person. And by faith, he goes back and he confronts his brother. As you know, there's a good outcome from that. Jacob's sons are 12, and they have a daughter, one. She goes and she is taken advantage of by a young man. The brothers take vengeance, causes all kinds of grief. Revenge, there's a place for justice and judgment, but not revenge. And you can see that in chapter 34. Then Isaac dies uh, in, in chapter 35. And and that's same slide twice. Okay, thirty-seven. Uh, Jacob's sons—they're <sighs> uh, not the nicest guys in the world, but they also got a spoiled little brat of a brother who's dad's favorite. Okay. And they don't like that. So what do they do? They once again, take matters into their own hands and they take Joseph and they sell him into slavery. Most of us know that story. It's probably one of the favorite stories from the book of Genesis of Joseph going from being a favorite son to a slave, to being in jail, to being the ruler right under Pharaoh of one of the most powerful countries in the world. We also find that in this whole process, Judah, one of Jacob's sons, sins by having an incestuous relationship with a daughter-in-law, which is against the law any place I know of. He doesn't even know it. He thinks he's just got a regular prostitute, and he finds out that he now has a son to his daughter-in-law. What a mess that is, but you know what what it proves? God is never sitting up there wringing his hands, going, What am I going to do now? Oh, man, I can't handle this situation. I can't, I can't carry out my promises that I've made. God is never doing that. Even in something this twisted and messed up, God still is in control and God will carry out exactly what he said. Can you trust God? Can you trust his promises? Does he do what he says he will do? The answer is absolutely. Does he require us to do that? That is also true. You find that in the book of Genesis. chapter 39 to 41, probably, as I already said, one of those stories where we go back to my kids, I don't know how many times we did that in family devotions, talking about Joseph and how he had you know, the everything bad going against him. And yet he was faithful in spite of his circumstances to the point of wrongly accused of being, raping Potiphar's wife and all these kinds of things. And he had an advocate. Well, no, he really didn't have an advocate at first because he said, Hey, remember me. And the guy didn't, Hey, he got wrong. Do you give up and quit? Is it hopeless? Is there, is there no out? The answer is no. God is always in control. And then you find in chapter 41, Joseph rises to authority. And uh, I mean, he should not even be there, much less be an authority in Egypt. He's not one of them. He's totally different than they are, except that whatever he says goes unless Pharaoh trumps it. That's it. And you know the whole story about the, the famine. And so Joseph does what God, the, takes the wisdom God gave him. They collect food for seven years. And then for seven years, there's a famine. And guess what? He appeals to Egypt and they do what they have to do. They don't have any choice. They do exactly what he says. And he keeps Egypt from starving to death in a famine. But what he doesn't know at that point is that he is also going to save his own family. You know that story. The brothers come down for food and all that. The whole point is this. While he doesn't think his brothers want anything to do with him, the brothers are pretty sure if they ever would see him, By the way, they think he's, he's goner. But they don't expect that they're ever going to see him again. But you know what? He says, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. I'll tell you what, the faithfulness of God is not something that came when Jesus came. God has always been faithful. God always provides a way. You might be here today and say, my situation is too bad. You don't know what somebody did to me. You don't know how I've been mistreated, abused, and, you know, all those kinds of things. You don't understand the problems I have. Nope, you're right, I don't. But I know God does. And there isn't a single one that's too hard for him. Where do I see that? The book of Genesis. 47. Joseph Joseph saves Egypt. And then Jacob comes at the end. Now it's end and, and we're moving forward. But Jacob is old. He's tired. He's dying. He's on his bed. He gets up. One last burst of energy. He leans on his cane and he blesses Joseph's children, and then he turns around in verse uh, chapter 49, and he blesses his 12 sons and prophesies over them. He gives a detailed future of what each one of them is going to be like. And then, and you go, why do you put dies on the end there? Because we're going to learn about death. Because you know what he does? He blesses, he takes that last surge of energy, those last words, you know, famous last words kind of thing, and he just crawls back into bed and breathes his glass and dies. Death with dignity, that's not euthanasia. He simply said, you know what? God, my time is up. Wow, different way of looking at death. Not easy, still a big hole in people's lives, but a different way of looking at death. We'll, we'll cover that when we get there. And then the last one, you might think I'm making a joke, but that last one's not a joke. Because in the end, Jacob and Joseph both become mummies. If you don't believe me, go back and check out what the last chapter says. Because they were treated like Egyptian royalty, just like a pharaoh. It took weeks and weeks just to prepare their bodies to be a mummy. And they were preserved so that later on, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they could take their bodies with them. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of funny you think of Egyptian pharaohs and King Tut and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? (laughs) Two Hebrews are mummies also. God is in control of everything. Joseph said, I don't want to be buried here. Bury me where I came from. You know what? And it's possible simply because God is working behind the scenes. Do I like the book of Genesis? The answer is, yeah, I do. Now, I could say that about every book. But this one here, its claim to fame is this. It gives us the foundation, the beginning, and the facts of just about the beginning of every doctrine, every line of thinking, every thought, that comes in the later part of the Old Testament and the New Testament, even on to eternity future. As I already mentioned. The tree of life is found at the very end of the Bible. Where did it begin? The very beginning of Genesis. I'm going to challenge you with one thing. As you have your devotions over the next uh, little while, take your I'm going to suggest you do it in 50 settings so that you don't get bogged down. Simply this, have your regular devotions and just determine that I'm going to read a chapter of Genesis. Just read a chapter. It takes you a few minutes. Read it. Some are going to be a whole lot more interesting than others. I'm pretty sure about that. But get it in your head. And then I I hope that that gives you a refreshing so that whatever else you do in your devotions or whatever speaker you hear or whatever else, you go oh yeah, I know where that started. I know where it came from. I understand God is absolutely consistent. God is always working. He's always in control. And he does what he says he will do. Wow. To me, that's the blessing of the book of Genesis, that God is an absolutely faithful God who does not let us down. There is no such thing as no hope for those that trust what God is doing. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we have done a whirlwind tour of probably one of the most important books and one of the longer books in the Bible. Lord, I pray that we would see the God that we serve, that He's never wringing His hands. He's never at a loss. His promises are always fulfilled. And Lord, He is the source of whatever else we see even in the world today. Lord, as we look back, I pray that we would keep our thinking straight, that we would understand our Christian life, we would understand the world, we would understand the Middle East, we would understand so many things in such a greater way by looking at the book of beginnings. Lord, help us in that direction, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.